0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. This morning, I present to you the top ten, the ten greatest moments in sermon history. After all, ESPN presents its top 10 sports highlights every morning. Magazines publish their top 10 restaurants, top 10 doctors, top 10 stores, top 10 places to live. Do those lists get your attention? Of course they do. A listing of the top possibilities leading up to a grand number one seems to get my attention. Is my favorite one of their favorites? Who is number one? Who's number one? And so, the top 10 moments in sermon history, that was just number one. I'm joking. I am presenting a parody, of course. The truth is, I don't like top 10 lists, and they are everywhere these days as media outlets and speakers try to get our attention. The best places to live, the best restaurants, the top 10 writers, even the top 10 preachers for that matter. I don't like ranking things and people that are perfectly good on their own. Those lists set up organizations and good people against each other and they leave me feeling like I'm I'm lacking something. If I am not living in the very best part of town, my preference is to applaud the good work, the good service, of so many different places to live and restaurants and writers and preachers, we are missing something important in life if we think we must participate in the best all the time. Now, I have to admit, one of the reasons I've come to this conclusion is that since 1966 I have been an Atlanta Braves baseball fan. I've learned the wonderful difference, sometimes the agonizing difference, between steady good baseball, beautiful baseball day in and day out, between that and winning the World Series so that a team can be called the best. The best, the greatest, are not always those who somehow win the grandest contests. The best are those who show up every day, day in and day out, with goodness and excellence. Yes, I I realize that we're all drawn to contests. I get that. Even scholars and religious people are drawn to contest. What is the greatest? So it was in the time of Jesus. Asking such questions of rising rabbis, popular new stars, was a practice even in the time of Jesus. For the past several Sundays, we have been reading in the Gospel of Matthew about some stiff and confrontive questions to Jesus. Is it permissible to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Is there such a thing as resurrection? And today's question continues the testing. Which is the greatest? Which is the greatest commandment of them all? Some had counted in the Hebrew scriptures 613 of them. People have been asking who is the greatest for a long time. I am the greatest, said Muhammad Ali, the G-O-A-T we say. Which president describes himself as the greatest? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest, the greatest of them all? It's often a misguided character who asks that question. Sometimes it is an evil character who asks the question. It's certainly an obnoxious character. A wicked queen who demands and expects the title. So I'm no fan of contests for the greatest. I accept that competition can be good. But in general, I do not answer particular questions about who or what is the greatest. And you know what? Jesus disagrees with me. Jesus does answer the question. In today's gospel lesson from Matthew, when Jesus is asked by his obnoxious testers which commandment is the greatest, Jesus does answer the question. In fact, I have often used his answer as a model for how we should study the Bible. The Bible has all sorts of laws, and very often in life, We do choose to emphasize one verse at the expense of another. I believe we are a better church because we have done that. So while one verse in the Bible says, women should be silent in the churches first Corinthians chapter 14 and another verse says in Christ there is neither male nor female Galatians 3 we are a better church because we consider that second verse greater than the other one in like manner when they ask Jesus which commandment is the greatest. Jesus does not meekly respond, well they're all equally good. They're all valuable. No. He actually gives a definite answer. But, his answer does not use the top ten. You remember the top ten in the Bible, don't you? They're the Ten Commandments. There are many commandments in Scripture, and the ones delivered to Moses in the book of Exodus, we call the top ten but ten commandments. Things like I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. When they ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he did not turn to the top ten. Instead, he lifted up the principle the principle of what it means to be the greatest. He pointed to the foundation of all good laws and principles. He lifted up love. Jesus is reminding us that there is only one greatest. Whatever we are listing or comparing or contesting over There is only one greatest, and the greatest is God. God is greater, we say. God is that greater than which nothing is, Saint Anselm said. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, and soul and mind. And when we're doing that, something else happens. A second principle emerges. When we love God, when we truly love God, we also love the other. We also love the neighbor, the person who is next to us and the person who is distant. Our neighbor is everyone. Whether they are counted as number 10 in the list, or number 100, or number 1 million Where we are counted in various lists does not make any difference when it comes to love. Love does not rank people. Love does not put people in order of who is the greatest. Love loves people no matter where we are ranked. Who's number one? Who's number one? Each one of us is. Loving our neighbor means loving people as if each of us is number one. Amen.